Well, the most important thing to me is learning and growing. It always is. And somewhere in that journaling process, I was like, wait, then why am I sitting in the same place I've been for 10 years? If learning and growing is important to me, how do we learn? We learn when something surprises our expectations. We'll learn when we're surprised. If you're not surprised, then you're just taking in more information that fits with what you know. You're only really learning when you're surprised. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting down with the great Derek Sivers today. Derek is bringing tremendous value today. And I'm telling you, this conversation is not a normal conversation. This is a conversation that will surprise you. It will challenge you. It will give you the opportunity of looking at everything in a totally different way, which I think is such a valuable thing because a lot of times what happens, you know, in daily life is we get involved in routine and we do the same thing that we did yesterday and the day before that. Even people like us, people who are striving for more, people who are looking to create a greater future, people who are looking to become the next version of themselves. But today is about truly understanding that learning, that growth, that expansion, that becoming who you really want to be, or maybe even becoming something that you never would have imagined becoming is all about surprising yourself and focusing on a pursuit of mastery. At the end of the day, going through difficult things can help you become something that you're extremely proud of and live a life of joy, of curiosity, of adventure. I think you're going to love today's podcast. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It's my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you have not done so already, I want to invite you to pay the fee. The fee is to pay it forward and share this episode with a friend. I'm just asking you that now in the very beginning of this podcast, because I know you're going to receive massive value from this. And guess what? It's better to give than receive in this time, the holiday season. I want to invite you to share this episode with one person. That's all I ask. The only way that we can continue to grow, which is very important for the future of this podcast, is if you share with someone else that either you know in your network, someone that's important to you, or someone that you just met. And uh, all you have to do is grab the link, post it on social media, or send it in a text message, whatever. All we ask is that you share. Also, give us a rating, review, or subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. Very important for us. Also, I want to know what do you love about Elevate? What do you... What would you like to see more of? What would you like to see less of? Give me that feedback through a review. It would be so, so important. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and like this video because we are going to continue to bring massive value to you. And your feedback is so, so critical, so important. And it gives our team the encouragement to continue forward. So with all that said, those are my asks for today. So now let me dive in. I'd love to introduce you to Derek Sivers, who is an author of philosophy and entrepreneurship. He's known for his surprising quotable insights and pithy, succinct writing style. You're definitely going to hear he's dropping some bombs in today's episode and uh, really quotes. I mean, he's, he's all over the place. But these are things, these are thinking tools and shifts that I think will allow you to step into some pretty amazing insights and deep wisdom. He was formerly a musician, a programmer, TED speaker, and a circus clown. He sold his first company for $22 million and gave all the money to charity. His books, How to Live, Hell Yeah or No, Your Music and People, Anything You Want, and newest projects are at his website, S-I-V-E.R-S. We'll put a link in the show notes as to where you can find that. But without further ado, please enjoy this phenomenal conversation with Derek Sivers. Derek Sivers, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you doing? Thanks, Tyler. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I know you and I, we were actually just talking about this before we started recording here. We've been, this has been in the works for a couple of years now. So I just want to thank you again for being on the podcast and uh, sharing your your brilliance with Elevate Nation. I mean, if anybody is not familiar with Derek's work, I mean, you, you've got to check out a lot of his books and his writings and his readings and his thoughts, because I would describe you as a modern day, somewhat philosopher. I mean, what do you think about that, Derek? It's funny. I like pop philosophy. I think academic philosophy often 
ends up just benefiting other philosophers, whereas pop philosophy, aka uh, on the verge of self-help, ends up actually benefiting real people with situations they're currently wrestling with. And to me, that's the difference between philosophy and self-help or pop philosophy. So yeah, the actual like academic philosophy, I have no interest in, you know, determining whether reality is real or whatever, you know, but uh, things that are applicable to our daily life, I'm endlessly interested in. It's almost like what Dan Sullivan describes as a thinking tool. He talks about thinking tools mm. and a lot on this podcast, we talk about mindset perspective. And I think a lot of what you present to the world and your wisdom that you've been able to glean through your own experiences, through studying others as well, has just really helping other people frame the world in a more appropriate way to take more appropriate action to go where they want to go. Does that resonate with you? Yes, absolutely. That's a beautiful description. Yeah, it's the framing is everything, isn't it? That I mean, the whole way we experience life is just our reaction to things, right? Like the, the events in life are very neutral. In the field you're in, you're presented with somebody who has said no. Okay, well, what does that mean that they've said no? It means nothing. It means nothing at all except what you, the meaning that you project onto it. And the entire course that your life takes is based on how you're going to frame and represent in your own mind what is happening in front of you. It just means everything. It changes everything. I love that. It is really interesting when you think about it. It's everything that we interact with. It's not the event, but it's the meaning that we project upon that event. And if once we, once right. we start to separate that, the possibilities then open up because we can look at everything and say, no matter what happens, there's an opportunity for me to learn, to grow, or there is a path that life is giving me that I now get to take a step forward to where it may be something that is unexpected. Does that make sense? Yeah. But e even you saying life is giving me, I mean, that's also not true. That's just your representation. Life is not giving anything. It's just like, that's a neutral event that happened. If you choose to interpret to say, you know, I choose to think of it as life is giving me an opportunity. Well, then, hell yeah, you've just made that into an opportunity for yourself because you chose to think of it that way. Self-fulfilling. Absolutely. And, you know, the other side of it is, well, life is doing this to me. Right. And this this tiny little shift. <laughs> right. It's like I'm the victim or mm -hmm. everything that happens to me. It's like the perspective of the meaning that I've projected upon these circumstances. And, and I, I've recently talked about problems and how problems can be gifts. And, and I think it is a matter of your perception. It is a matter of the meaning that you project and the meaning that you project. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this then turns into the actions that you take, the behavior or the emotions that you experience, which, you know, is infectious in good ways or bad. Yeah, I guess maybe in the intro, you'll tell people who I am. Years ago, I started and grew and sold a company. I had a music distribution company called CD Baby that I ran for 10 years and had 85 employees. And in the final year, things got really bad. It was financially great. It was successful. But just inside the culture of the company had turned so nasty and so awful that it was actually the reason I left is because I just hated what the company had become in its internal culture. That's the reason I sold the company. I just wanted to either shut it down or walk away. So in the years afterwards, I thought of all of the problems as their fault, like those damn employees with those entitled, those, those brats, those, you know, those people that were staging a mutiny and making me walk the plank of my own company. And I had all of these things where I was the, the object of the verb and they were the subject. And suddenly one day I decided, what if everything is my fault? It's like, what if the entire company culture and the way that those 85 people came into work and how they saw their job each day, what if that was all my fault? I was like, ooh, I like this. This is powerful. This feels better. Then I was like, I look at the whole world going, wait, what if all of this is my fault? What if the reason that these bad politicians are in office is my fault? What if the reason that there's pollution in India is my fault? Like, this is all up to me. I was like, I like this. I know this is not a true belief. I'm not judging this belief on its accuracy, but I'm thinking of first, how does that make me feel? And I like it. Other people don't like it. They think maybe people grew up with a guilt complex and parents or partners that were always guilt tripping them. For them, a belief of everything is my fault won't work for them. They would not like that. But for me, I like this. I like taking responsibility. And then I thought, now this can change my actions. Because instead of feeling helpless about pollution or hunger or politics, I can think, but it's all up to me. 
So I need to take actions to change this. I like this, you know, and I can change it because it's my fault. I choose beliefs because they're useful, not because they're true. Mm, man, that is that is a sound bite right there. But I think about what you just described in particular in, you know, half the population would be just overwhelmed by that thought to say, well, that everything is their fault. The other half may be energized by that as you were. And I think it almost goes down to the, the thought of gamifying what empowers you with your beliefs and choosing those thoughts and creating this reality based on what is actually going to be in the best interest of your future self. Does that resonate with you, Derek? Yeah, everything except the word gamifying. I want to let's stop. So yeah, choosing your thoughts that empower you. Absolutely. Gamifying. I'm just curious, how do you how do you define that? Or how does that apply? I'm almost brainstorming while we're having this discussion. So you have to forgive me. Yeah, me but, too. It's fun. And I'm yeah. thinking of it as a game because you don't know for sure whether or not this will truly empower your future self. You are almost exploring this thought of, well, what happens if I start to think that, you know, everything is my fault? And you didn't really uh, necessarily okay. know how that was going to play out. And so maybe it's almost like you're playing a game with yourself and you're almost betting right. on a probability of a cer certain future outcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, you just made me realize that when we say gamifying, we usually mean this kind of quantified scorekeeping, points keeping, you know, how many karma points do I get on Reddit? How many likes did I get on my post? That's usually what we mean by gamifying these days. But yeah, you're right. You know, a game, two kids playing make-believe, pretending that there's a monster in the hallway. That's a game. Oh, no, actually, no. Make-believe and a game are slightly different. The difference between play and a game is that a game has rules for the purpose of cooperation. If it has rules for, for the purpose of cooperation, we call it a game. If it's just a kid making mud pies or pretending to be an astronaut in their bedsheets, we call that play, not necessarily game. So yeah, I, th I think of what I'm doing not as gamifying, but as play. Experimentation, make-believe. There you go. Which you could look at as play, or you could look at that as a game, maybe with no object or no outcome in particular other than enjoyment right. or curiosity or adventure. I almost, you know, as I study your work and I study your background and your perspective and really where you're taking things now and your creativity, I mean, it's to me, it's just fascinating because you just described some of the sort of the pain, the suffering that you went through as the business owner that then exited and so forth and kind of reflecting upon that. But now thinking about where you're taking this and you've even just looked at businesses and just life in general as play. And you said everyone needs a company because it, it can be your own art or your own music. Ooh, and going back yeah. to just sort of being a musician yourself, I do want to talk about that monomaniacal focus that you had for many years in being a musician and what you learned about yourself and how that shaped you, but also just moving forward, because that, that almost seems like that was such a formative experience that you've applied that sort of thought process to business, to life, to being an author, to being, you know, who you are, today. But does that make sense? Yeah, I guess that's what you're doing with real estate, right? Like you were fascinated with real estate and you take the lessons you've learned, not just about the industry, but about the personal development and the emotional mastery that you've had to do for yourself. And you're applying that in a more broad field outside of real estate as well. So yeah, that's exactly I did right. When I read that from you, I'm like, this is a game and the game within the game is yourself, the internal yeah. dialogue. And to me, that is universal. That's why I love having these conversations with people like yourself. So thank you for that. That was great. Well, I feel like we're getting quite abstract. I'm feeling bad for your audience that's you know, listening on a drive to just like, okay, they're defining the difference between play and a game. How is this going to help me? So let's let's talk about something concrete to help your audience. Thank you. Let's go back to the beginning because the monomaniacal focus yourself in becoming a musician seems to be a very shaping type of experience. I mean, Tell me a little bit about that and, and how that actually shaped you. At the age of 14, I was really into heavy metal guitar. And I would just spend hours a day with my fingers on a fretboard, playing scales, playing arpeggios, learning guitar solos, learning how to play every note that all of my favorite guitarists played on all of my favorite music. I was just obsessed with being a great guitarist. And after a few years of that, then I was more obsessed with making music itself, not just heavy metal, but like all kinds of music. And I got obsessed with how we layer instruments to put it together, like how to make a good drum beat and how to put together a good arrangement with a bass line and a drum beat and the guitars and then the how to write songs. And so somewhere in there, I decided I really, more than anything, want to be a successful musician. This is what I want. But I decided this at like 15, right? And I'm so glad I did because 
the next 15 years of my life had a purpose where everybody else was drifting around, not knowing what they were doing. I had this single focused purpose I'm on. I'm going to be a successful musician. And therefore, I was motivated to read books on marketing, books on positioning, books on sales, books on business, books on personal development. All of this was applicable because I needed it to be a successful musician. And I am so thankful for that focus that I had anything at all. I'd say it doesn't matter what you're pursuing. As long as you have something that you're pursuing, then everything has drive and purpose and meaning. You're never lost. And so it was really weird when I went back to like my 10 year high school reunion, right at 28 or whatever, went back to Hinsdale, Illinois, outside of Chicago. And I saw all my old high school friends that were just lost. And they were just like, kind of bloated and drifting. And they got some job as a mid-level manager at Motorola pushing papers from left to right. And they were just lost and drunk. And I didn't feel successful at the time. I was a musician living hand to mouth, but I was a full-time musician living in New York City, but you know, making $300 on this gig and $150 on that gig. And I would pay my rent doing that. And when I went back to my high school reunion, they were all jealous that I had followed my dreams and I was doing it and I knew what I was pursuing, you know? And so now as a parent, I look back at my former self like a different person, you know, like a kid. I'm just so thankful that I had a thing that I was following that whole time that led me to the constant pursuit of self-improvement. You know, one of the things that strikes me about that is most people, when they're 25 years old, 10 years after you had found this really innate pursuit of sort of mastery, you know, many people just still don't even have the clarity of what is actually true to their soul or what it is that they want to give or what what is really screaming out to them. I mean, how are mm -hmm. you able to sort of encounter that so early on? And is there any advice that you might give to others who are looking to be more in alignment with their purpose? Yeah, well, first, just forget that whole idea of purpose. Forget passion, forget purpose. You have to understand that you start down the path first and the emotions and inner feelings and representations of passion and purpose are emotions that come later after you've been pursuing something for years and the world is starting to reward you for it. So that's an argument in favor of practicing your scales, let's say just metaphorically, getting good at anything, like having parents that insist that their kids pick a music instrument and then practice it every single day for an hour for 10 years, from the age of six to 16, they may, might not even want to do it. But for the first five years, they might go and do it and practice their scales. But after five years, well, now they're really good at this thing. And people who hear them play go, wow, you're amazing. And they start to get that feedback and they start to get into the better stuff, right? Like the basics of anything are pretty dreary. Let's even say computer programming. You pick up a book on computer programming, it's gonna be just a bunch of like, ugh, stupid, you know, Fibonacci series and you know, fizz buzz. But then you're going to get into the good stuff later that gets really rewarding. And then that's when you start to feel these feelings of passion and you like it enough that you think, I really want to keep doing this because not only am I enjoying it because it's fascinating and interesting, but the world is rewarding me. And now you start the feeling of purpose. So all those things come later. The problem is, like you say, somebody at 25, just, you know, lethargic going, What's my passion? What's my purpose? <laughs> you, you can't start from there. You just have to start doing a thing. And the feeling of passion and purpose comes later. That makes so much sense. And it really makes me think of real estate in particular. I mean, because it can be a very sophisticated and nuanced approach to creating wealth and creating opportunity in your life and, and also sharing that opportunity with other people. Because in the very beginning, it, it's it's very challenging, overwhelming, mm -hmm. difficult to understand. But you mentioned essentially that passion comes from mastery. And it's almost like you've got to commit to the fundamentals and overcoming that difficulty, get, getting to the other side you start to come to an appreciation of the level of mastery that you can develop and you can create. But also in that pursuit, one of the things, I mean, you wrote the book on hell yeah or no, it's almost like you, because of that pursuit, you were saying no to everything and you're still doing that today. And we started this conversation prior to, you know, with you literally showing me exactly how you're really focusing on making time for yourself so that you can have time to be in that making mode 
mode. And so how has this over evolved over the years for yourself? And do you have any advice for others who may be struggling saying no in this world of just constant distractions? Yeah, you have to know the story of Buridan's donkey. It's a fable. Buridan is spelled B-U-R-I-D-A-N. So search it up. Buridan's donkey is a tale of, I think it's a philosopher that came up with this. It said, imagine that there's a donkey that's exactly halfway between a pile of hay and a bucket of water. And he's hungry and thirsty, but looking back and forth going, uh, uh, water or hay or water or hay. And he can't decide and he ends up dying of both hunger and thirst because he couldn't decide which to do first. So the idea is don't be a donkey, just pick one. See, the, the problem is a donkey doesn't have foresight and imagination. It's kind of our unique human ability. Most creatures on earth do not have foresight and imagination to imagine how something will be in future steps. We do. So you can use the future of your imagination to know that you can do one thing first. You can go to the water first, have your drink, and then saunter over to the pile of hay. Otherwise, you're just going to die of starvation and thirst like Buridan's donkey if you don't pick one and do it first and know that you'll get to the other thing later. So how has that evolved for you over the years? Because at some point, I'm sure you fumbled your way through saying no to distractions. At this point, it seems like that is one of the, the lines of mastery that you've really engaged in. Just You've just committed to this consistent focus, and it's about eliminating distraction. I mean, how has this evolved for you over the years? In a lot of ways, I kind of hate the world. <laughs> I hate the noise. I hate all the bullshit that's out there. I hate all the, you know, you should get involved in this Web3 crypto thing. Hey, why don't you do NFTs? Because I heard of them today. You know, like that mindset of noise. There is so much noise. So much of it is basically advertising. You know, I, I taught my kid years ago when he was like five years old that when we're driving through the city and he sees all of these billboards and he'll say, hey, dad, why does that say you deserve a timeout? I thought a timeout is a punishment. And I'd say, oh, well, that's, you know, I'd say, well, it's say, why does it say that? And I just said, because they want you to give them money. I said, and he's like, they do? I said, yeah, every one of these billboards you see, what they're really saying is give me your money. Like you earned it. We want it. Give it to us. That's all they're saying. All in it, because then other times he's like, why is there a picture of like a fruit inside a bottle? It's like, because they want you to give them their mo your money. That's it. That's all. of. And so a lot of the noise of the world, when people are saying like, hey, man, you should really get into NFTs. You know, have you looked into Web3? It's like, what they're really saying is give me your money, which is like, hey, I, I let somebody else convince me I should do this thing. So now I'm doing this thing and I'll make more money if you do this thing. So you should do this thing. You should totally do this thing. Then I'll be justified and I'll make money. And that's why you should do it. Like, I just hear this hidden message behind all of the noise of the Internet. Uh, if not money, then attention, right? Like, you know, give me your attention, validate me. And so I just hate it all. And so I, I have such little respect for the noise of the Internet and the, uh, the teeming masses telling me I should be doing what they want me to do. I just ignore it all. And I'm really happy to, to have books as my main source of input because they're relatively quiet and uncorrupted by commercial concerns. A book is almost never a way to get rich. So books are usually not corrupted by that noise. And I just know the, the lesson from Buridan's Donkey, that I just have to do one thing at a time and everything else is just going to have to wait. It's maybe it's because, you know, the love of the path of mastery seeing how all my friends in high school that tried to do lots of different things ended up doing nothing, whereas I was just focused on essentially a silly pursuit of just being a, a great guitarist. That helped me through everything. That helped me through all the noise. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. 
CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. How would you give advice to someone who's, you know, maybe building their career and they feel like at this stage in their career, they need to say yes more than they say no? The hell yeah or no approach. And yeah, anybody listening, it's, search my name and the phrase hell yeah or no. You'll read more of what I have to say about it. It's essentially saying that if you are overwhelmed with opportunity and if there are too many things begging for your time, you should raise the bar all the way up to like the 99% so that only that rare 1% of a thing that makes you say not just, okay, yeah, sure, but like, oh, fuck yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. You say no to everything but that. You lift the bar all the way up and what it does is it gives you more free space in your life so that you have the time and space to throw yourself into that occasional rare thing. Whereas if you have said yes to too many things, then when the occasional great thing comes along, you don't have enough time and energy to give it what it deserves because you've said yes to too many half-assed things, right? So that's the essence of hell yeah or no. But the problem is because I've talked about it publicly, a lot of people say, oh yeah, that's great. I want to say hell yeah or no to everything in my life. And I'm like, wait a second. No, that's not for everything. It's for a specific scenario in your life when you are overwhelmed with opportunities. But if you are just starting out your career, like you asked, hell yeah or no is not the correct philosophy. It's not the best mindset to follow. Instead, you should say yes to everything at the beginning and work twice as hard and sleep less and do lots of things because what your job at the beginning is, is to see what the world's going to reward you for, right? Like, I'll just use my own dumb example. As a professional musician in New York City, I was saying yes to everything. Somebody needs a guitar solo on a record. I say, yes. Somebody says, can you produce, do you know any good recording studios? I say, I'm a recording studio. I'll do that for you. Somebody says, I'm looking for a record producer. I say, I'm a record producer. I can do that. Somebody says, hey, we're looking for a jazz pianist to play at this art opening. I say, I'm a jazz pianist. I can do that. So you just said yes to everything, right? And then I was a booking agency. I was a record label. I was a recording studio. I was a producer. I was a session guitarist. I was a circus clown and MC, uh, ringleader MC clown for a circus, a children's entertainer. I actually, I made a good living running around inside a black lycra bag, bothering people on college campuses. I did everything. I did lots of stuff, whatever I could to make a buck. Last time I had a job was 1992. I quit my job in 1992 and I've just been like full-time freelance everything since then. But along the way, there was one little thing I did, which was I had a little web store that I sold my CD on. And then friends told friends and I started getting calls from strangers said, hey, can you sell my CD? And then, hey, my friend Dave said you could sell my CD. And pretty soon out of the 15 different things I was doing, this one took off. So I shut down the other 14, started saying no to all that. And then threw everything I had into this one thing that became CD Baby which is where that was my big success in life, monetarily at least. But it came from saying yes to everything, trying everything and seeing what the world would reward me for. Being willing to go down those dead ends or those paths that didn't lead to anywhere, but there was maybe some learning or experience that you gained from that, or right. perhaps, you know, a clue that a new business could be born as a result of this. And yeah. speaking of beginning, I mean, we're talking about saying yes versus saying no and when it may be appropriate. And I love the paradox of that thought, but you've written about a lot of just the sort of the, the creativity involved in building a business through anything you want. And one of the things that really stood out 
about to me was this thinking tool, again, this mindset that starting with no money is actually an advantage rather than being mm-hmm. a disadvantage. And so I'd love for you to just expand upon that thought, because a lot of people, especially in real estate, think, well, if I'm going to build a real estate empire, I've got to start with millions of dollars. And yeah. I know that you're not specifically writing about people in real estate, but I'd love for you to just share with the listener a little bit more about why starting with no money is an advantage for any endeavor. I think other people have probably written about this much better than I have. But my own take on it is that when you're doing things bootstrapped or on a shoestring, however else they say that, it means that you don't spend a single dollar unless you're pretty damn assured that that's going to earn you $2 back, right? Like when I first started my company, I would get calls from advertisers asking me to spend even $200 to advertise in their outlet. And I'd say, well, can you give them the assurance that this will make me $400 by next month? And they'd say no. And I'd say, all right, well, then no. I do not spend a dollar unless it's going to turn into $2 almost immediately because I just don't have extra dollars to spend. So it really makes you laser focused. Talk about just, you know, learning to say no to almost everything. Of course, as soon as you start a business, you're going to get swarmed with flies saying, you know, B2B flies <laughs> saying, oh, you need to do this. You need to have a, you know, an insurance policy. You need to have a company. You need to have a uh, terms and conditions. You need to have this. And you go, nope, 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 nope. Because is that dollar going to earn me $2 next month? Nope then no, I'm not going to do it. I don't care what you tell me. It's not going to double my money in a month or two. I won't do it. It just gives, helps you get laser focused. Whereas companies who were given $50 million in, in investments, so they just go out and do stupid things like they throw these big parties or they spend money on a big sign above their door or on fancy Herman Miller chairs and space age desks and infrared systems or whatever. And none of it is going to double their money the next month because they don't need it to. They're just like, yeah, man, it's going to build our awareness and build a brand. And I I just not having the money doesn't let you make sure that you don't waste it. Well, what I also loved about this thought that you shared was that you don't need money to start helping people. And when you really build it down to the base level and when you break it down to the base level, business is about helping other people and investing is the same. I mean, it's it's about having an abundance mindset and serving and adding value to others. So I just loved that thought. I mean, it's at the end of the day, if you really bring it down to the base level, it's about adding value to whoever your customer is, whoever you're, you know, in the real estate business, maybe a partner, maybe a resident, maybe a tenant, but it's thinking about, well, instead of how can I bloat my business, it's how can I help other people? It helps me to constantly remember, like nobody cares about you. And they shouldn't. Why should anybody care about you? They shouldn't. So when you go out into the world and you say, I want to make some money, the world says, fuck you, we don't care. (laughs) That is moot to us that you want to make some money. But on the other hand, if you say, I want to help people lose weight, or I want to help people fall in love, or whatever the thing that you're, or even, you know, I want to help people taste the difference between bad chocolate and good chocolate, you know, whatever it may be. Now you can have a mission that people will care about. If you say, I'm on a mission to help people taste the difference between bad chocolate and good chocolate, you'll get some ears perking going, mm-hmm, there's a difference. Okay, I'm curious. Whereas if you go into the world and you say, I want to make some money, the world looks at you with a scowl. Absolutely. And, and ultimately it comes down, in my opinion, I really believe this, it comes down to a mindset of abundance. And, you know, when you think about and and you've shared this as well, is that when you're adding that value to someone else, if we're just thinking about what do we get in exchange, it's that mindset of scarcity. And I think that you cut yourself off from so much upside if you're only you're just focused on yourself. I mean, you've got to be focused on other people. And you, you even share this like at the end of the day, it comes down to adding value. But ultimately, it is a delivering of service. And I, I think about you go out to a restaurant. I mean, I don't know about you, but man, I get blown away by great service and poor or even average or even slightly above average service to me is like, I just don't have an interest in going back. And there Mm -hmm. is such a big difference because when you have this mindset of generosity and abundance, I think that's when you start to experience exponential growth. Does that resonate with you? I think it can go either way. I think what I've learned traveling the world, which by the way, yeah, after I sold CD Baby, I realized I'd spent the first 40 years of my life in America. So I wanted to spend the next 40 out. I wanted to understand different perspectives on the world, like different ways of seeing life. And I wanted to do that in an immersive way, not just reading a book. So I made myself move to places that I knew nothing about in order to understand their perspective on the world. So when you say, I think the key to everything is a mindset of abundance. Yeah, could be. That's one way that works. 
On the other hand, if you ever, especially with your interest in real estate, you someday should take a uh, business expense educational two-week trip to Singapore or Hong Kong and see the way the real estate market works in these places, which is very different. And it very much comes from a scarcity cutthroat mindset. Just one little tiny story that shocked me. I haven't even thought that much about this. This will, might mean more to your listeners than it did to me. When I lived in Singapore, I found out it's very common to list your property for sale. And then when you get an offer for, uh, you know, say you list it for 650000 whatever, and then somebody offers you 650000 you then say no and you remove it from the market and you list it at 660000 now. <laughs> And you keep doing that. You keep refusing the offers and raising your price until you finally find an amount that nobody's willing to pay and they just want to pay you a little under. And then you finally say yes, because only then do you know that you've found the maximum price. And so there's this patience and this cutthroat, ruthless thing that it's somewhat ignoring social norms. You know what I mean? It's kind of offensive. Like when the first time I heard it, I was like, that's just evil. <laughs> that's just wrong. But it's like, well, it's rational. It's OK. All right. I get it. And God, even the way that agents work there, there is no two things different with America. There is no buyer's agent. Every person is just left to fend for themselves and there's no exclusive seller's agent. So you can have one home and like every agent in town will represent it. But because of that, it's actually a downside. Nobody wants to put any effort into they don't do those things of like staging and uh, presenting or like getting a 3D camera to take really nice photos of a place because since there's no exclusivity, why bother putting forth a big effort? So instead, it's just like this free marketplace of properties for sale. And it's just it's a lot of chaos. It's just a, such a different way of approaching it. So sorry, when you say something like the key to everything is a mindset of abundance, my initial instinct is to agree with you. But then I have to catch myself and go, wait, mm, that is just one way of thinking of it. I think it's a very valuable perspective and, and really thinking about everything and saying, well, there's two sides of this coin or maybe even three sides of the coin, as Robert yeah, Kiyosaki talks about it. You know, there's one side, there's the other side and there's the edge. And so understanding that I think is a path towards intelligence and perspective and recognizing that just because you've experienced one set of rules or norms doesn't mean that it couldn't actually be flipped on its head. And one of the things that is really interesting about immersing myself in your world is that you've immersed yourself in this world of learning through immersion like that. Like you've been you've just been exploring the different side of every coin. And it almost seems like that's been a pathway towards your creativity and your curiosity. Does that make sense? Or am I on the right path there? Yeah, that's my common thread in life. Essentially, that's what I've been doing. Now, I shouldn't say the whole time. That's what I've been doing since since I sold CD Baby in 2008, let's say. That's been my my main common thread is looking for a different point of view. Uh, in fact, I've done a few TED Talks, but if you want to know my favorite one, it was um, the one called, uh, I think it's called The Opposite May Also Be True, where I found that, oh, this I love this example. In Japan, I was asking somebody for the name of a street and I said, what is this street called? And they just looked at me weird. I said, well, this street, what is this street called? And they said, well, that's block number seven. That's block number 13. I went, OK, but what is this street? And he just didn't understand my question. And then I finally found out what it is that in in America or in, in let's say, most of the Western world, actually, probably most places except Japan, we think of streets as having names and the blocks as being the unnamed spaces in between the streets. In Japan, it's the opposite. The blocks have numbers and the streets are thought of as the unnamed spaces in between blocks. I was like, whoa, like that blew my mind. It's just like, you know what? That is equally valid. It's just I thought that, of course, streets have names. And of course, the land in between streets is just mm, it's just land. Then I was in Australia. And as I was at the airport leaving, I saw a map of the world upside down. So Australia was on top and there were a bunch of countries scattered at the bottom like the US and Europe. And I went, oh, that's right. You know, the the earth is a circle. It's a sphere, I should say. So that's equally valid. I just we're used to thinking of Europe and the US and the northern hemisphere on top, but it works equally well if you're looking at it from the south. And then I just kept looking for perspectives like this, like what other things in life have I been thinking of from one perspective where the opposite is just as true? So I gave my first TED talk was about that. And it's still my favorite one because I think it's still my favorite subject is constantly looking 
for another point of view and not just stopping at flipping the coin once or even stopping at looking at the edge. You could keep going. There's still other ways that you can think of anything. And they're often very beneficial, whether it's to give you a competitive edge in a marketplace, whether it's to help your own personal productivity or just to help your peace of mind to think of something in a different way. Like like when I used to think that all of my employees had wronged me and I thought, wait a minute, what could be the opposite? Maybe I wronged them. I was like, ah, see, this feels better. This is a more resourceful, powerful state of mind. So sometimes even just for your own happiness and effectiveness on life, it helps to keep looking for another point of view. This is why I think it's important for us as investors to be having conversations more so rather than the how-to, the execution of finding deals, optimizing those properties, managing the manager, all the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, because I think that opening and expanding our gaze can be extremely powerful. It's, it's a pathway to joy as far as I'm concerned, personally, from a growth perspective and just a learning perspective, because I think there's a lot to be said about what happens when you understand that, wow, you know, my little bubble is just that. It's just a little bubble. And there's so many other perspectives out there. There's so many other different cultures out there. And, you know, the description of the the blocks in Japan and the streets in the United States and many other cultures, I think is an interesting one. It almost thinks it makes me think of if you're brushing your teeth with your right hand every single day. It's like try brushing your teeth with your left hand. And it's a weird experience. You know, it's a very simple, weird experience, but it's it's the opposite. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe there's a pathway in my brain that can start to be carved as a result of something as simple as that. I mean, when you think about your learning and your growth and your expansion, it, it almost seems like you're trying to flip everything on its head and trying to explore mm-hmm. the opposite of, of every thought. Mm-hmm. So what, what is that? I mean, you were talking about a competitive advantage or perhaps a, you know, just sort of a, an expansion of the way that you are empathetic towards other people. I mean, what else does this type of life give you? And, you know, is this something that is expanding? Is it changing the way that you're just, mm-hmm. I know obviously you're living in New, Ze- New Zealand now and you're immersing yourself mm-hmm. in that, you know, a different type of culture in itself. But how is this evolving or changing as you continue to grow older, older yeah. yourself? Well, I've noticed recently, this is actually the subject of my next book, is called Useful Not True, because I noticed that whenever anybody starts a sentence by saying, I believe such and such, whatever follows that word believe is not true. Because if it was true, we wouldn't use the word believe. Like we don't say, I believe in carrots, right? Carrots just exist. It's just a fact. There it is. It's a carrot. You don't have to believe in it. But it's when I think earlier you said something like, I believe that abundance is the key uh, or the mindset of abundance is the key to everything. I'm like, well, That's one way of looking at it, but that's not objectively true. The reason you said, I believe, is because you're choosing to adopt that perspective, right? And I think it's fascinating then to realize that all of our beliefs are not true, that we're choosing them. And we're choosing them because they work for us. And because we're choosing them, we can choose different ones if the ones we've adopted are not working for us. Or maybe they were just hand-me-downs that you didn't choose, you know? Your, Your parents gave you some clothing and said, here... These are my parents' clothes. You wear them and you can tell I'm speaking metaphorically. You know, the the beliefs that we have that were just handed down from our parents that might not be working for us. And we assume that they're true. But when you realize, whoa, wait, none of these are true. It was all just a certain perspective that maybe this perspective worked for my grandparents when they came over from Italy in 1890. But now... Sorry, I guess that would be great grandparents. (laughs) But now this is not applicable to 2022 in my current situation living in New York City or whatever. And so it's really helpful to remember that all these things you believe are not true and you can adopt them and the things that other people insist are true. That's what's kind of funny. It's like the difference between kids and grownups. It's like when kids play make believe, even if they're sitting there with the mud saying, I'm making dinner now. And, you know, now look, here's a fresh chicken out of the oven. They know that it's not actually a fresh chicken. Then that's not actually an oven. They know that it's mud and sticks. So why is it that when we get older, we insist that the only reason we believe something is because it's true? I think we should acknowledge that these are all still make-believe and we're choosing to believe them and we can let them go in an instant. 
Do you think it's the lack of awareness that people don't or most people don't realize that beliefs are chosen? You know, most people, perhaps if, if the argument is that most people know that beliefs are chosen, they choose to be average or they choose to be below average. They don't choose the path mm. of mastery. What is, what is the difference? Well, I think it's the reason I'm, I'm calling the book useful, not true, is because I think the beliefs we hold are useful for some purpose. You know, like the story that somebody wronged you is useful because it lets you feel like the noble hero of that tragedy. It lets you feel like there was nothing you could have done, that you did your best, damn it, because they just wronged you. And it lets that story is useful to you to feel good about yourself, to feel good about the past. Whereas acknowledging, actually, it was my fault that there were people selling drugs in my apartment. I was reading your story about like, you know, real estate turned out to be tougher than you expected at first, you know, frozen pipes and, and drug dealers or whatnot. And it's like, if you acknowledge, I'm sure the first reaction would have been like, ah, oh, God damn it, you know, those idiots, those jerks. But instead, if you're like, actually, this is my fault. I let this happen. It's at first, it doesn't let you tell that tale anymore that was so, that felt good for a while, that was useful to you. But then you realize, actually, okay, this new belief system, it doesn't feel good at first, but it's going to help to get me where I want to go. I don't know. So yeah, why do people believe things that aren't true? I think it's because they are, they have been useful to them to believe that. Because a lot of times being average or the useful belief of, you know, hey, I can't do that or I shouldn't do that. Or if I do that, I might fail. It's the useful or the utility of that thought. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is perhaps that's protecting them or, you know, it's keeping mm -hmm. them safe. Um, what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? That's a useful. Yeah, gets them off the hook. You don't need to work. To, hey, you know what? You are totally justified in just sitting and watching TV tonight. In fact, every night you were totally justified to just take it easy. You don't need to try too hard. You don't need to read those books. Just relax. Just let's just watch this game tonight instead. You're totally justified doing that because, hey, you know what? All we can really do in life is get by. And that's all anyone can expect. You know, like that belief is useful for relaxing. But yeah, it gets people off the hook. You just described like the standard average American thought. That's what that is. Yeah, it's standard everywhere. I mean, God, here in New Zealand, it, it's funny. New Zealand's quite a paradise. And in paradise, you'll notice that places that are like paradise usually don't have very many ambitious people in them. You know, you go to Fiji, go to Tahiti, there's not a lot of ambition there because they're in paradise. And New Zealand's kind of the same way. It's the places that are not super comfortable to live in. You know, you go to uh, maybe Warsaw or Hong Kong, you'll meet a lot of ambition because there are a lot of people very driven to get out of these places and go to someone, go to paradise where they can stop being ambitious. That is interesting. I, I spent a period of time in, in Hawaii and I, I noticed that myself mm -hmm. that there was not a lot of ambition on the island of Maui. And, you know, I think yeah. that there's there's something to be said about pursuing something. But the, the bigger part of that, and I feel like it's something that you've really shown, is that it's who you become. It's not about what you attain or obtain through that path yeah. of mastery. It is truly mm -hmm. who you become, which is such an unbelievable realization. You know, I was really into Tony Robbins. Was uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad the book that made the biggest difference in your life? It was a catalyst for me to open my mind to the way that w wealthy people think. And it really was a transformation because I came from a middle class background and that was a huge catalyst for me for sure. Okay. So I got that impression that, yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad like, was a big turnaround for you. And for me, it was Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. When I read Awaken the Giant Within, it was just like mind blown. And, but it also resonated with something that was already kind of inside me, but also just helped me think of life in a different way. But in there, he has this chapter where he's trying to spark your desire and your drive by talking about all the things you could own. <laughs> like, do you want to own your own private jet? Wouldn't you love to have a mansion on the beach? Wouldn't you love to have a swimming pool? Do you want your own personal chef? And I just remember reading this both then and every moment since. Every time I go back to that, I just, I have this sneer on my face. I'm like, ugh, no, that sounds awful. I don't want any, I don't want a Ferrari. That's embarrassing. Ugh, you couldn't pay me to own a Ferrari. I don't want a mansion. Think of what a pain that would be to live in a mansion. Well, who the hell needs nine bedrooms? What stuff would I put in that? You know? Okay, so I realized it was always, even as a teenager, and still, to me, it's been about who I want to be. 
Like, I want to be the person that makes myself proud. I want to challenge myself to try to master this craft that I'm pursuing. I want to challenge myself to learn this subject I'm tackling. It's all about who I want to be, not what to have. I feel like any idiot can own a Ferrari. You just go put it on your credit card and worry about the bills later. But like, it takes no, it's, it's not impressive to own a thing, but it is impressive to be a thing. My goodness. I mean, you're dropping uh, soundbite after soundbite, Derek. And, and that is a really, really great reminder for all of us is that when we're setting goals, it's not about what we want to have. It's what we want to be, who we want to be, who we want to become. And I think that's why it's so important for us to dive into work like what you've been gifting to the world for so many years, Derek. So you've been extremely generous with your time, with your wisdom today. So I just want to thank you so much. I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air right. questionnaire. I mean, the life that you've lived and that you continue to live and you continue to set the example for is one that is rare. It's uncommon. And but you're living the uncommon fruits of that labor. And so I think there's so many clues on, on our conversation today. But I'd love to ask you a few questions. Uh, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you have read over the past few years, what would those be and why? OK, if you're limiting it to just the last few years, The Courage to be Disliked. It's got a Japanese author. Let me think what else. You know what? The real answer will forever be at this word. Go to S-I-V-E dot R-S slash book, B-O-O-K. I take detailed notes on every book I've read since 2007. I started this habit. I read, you know, hundreds of books before 2007, but starting in 2007, every book I read, I take copious notes. I highlight all of my favorite ideas from this book. I write a description of it. And then, most useful to you, the listener, I give everything a zero to 10 rating on how much I would recommend it to others. There have been some books that were personally useful to me, but wouldn't apply to most people, you know, like books on programming or understanding Swiss culture. I would give those a low rating, even though I liked them. But if you go to sive.rs slash book, I always put my most recommended books at the top. So there's my real answer. Go to that URL and you will always see my favorite books of the last year. I love that. And we will definitely put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find that just to make it really simple. But, you know, I wanted to ask you a quick follow up on that, because one of the things that really stood out to me as I was getting prepared for our conversation was you talked about your affinity for journaling and sort of how really all of your learning happens there. And could you talk a little bit about your practice for journaling and, and what that actually looks like for you? Yeah, I mean, the details don't really matter. I get some people saying, well, which piece of software should I use? It doesn't matter. Grab a pen and paper or just open a plain text file. Well, I recommend not getting subscribed to some monthly fee software or even being bound to a cloud because you might have a part a time in your life when you're offline. And if you suddenly have no access to your diaries when you're offline or oops, if Google deletes your account, you don't want to be screwed. So the most important thing to me is we can hear facts and information. And we can even hear perspectives and mindsets in shows like yours. But it's not until you apply it to your own life, you say, wow, you know, Tyler mentioned this really interesting mindset today. Let me think about how I could apply this to my life. And it's in that reflection that you really internalize something. Until then, it's just information that's out there. It's only when you stop and put aside the time to reflect, like turn off the videos, turn off YouTube, turn off the internet <laughs> and reflect on how what you've heard today could apply to your own life and how you could apply this, how you could change it. What are your own thoughts on it? Because maybe you disagree after some reflection. You think, actually, you know, Tyler said that this is the key, but I think it's just one of the ways. In fact, the opposite might be more true. You know, that to me is where I feel like I've learned everything. I read a lot of books, but it's not until I stop and reflect on them later that I feel like I've really internalized it and learned it. That's great stuff. So aside from our discussion today, Derek, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? It may be journaling, um, but it may be something else. Is there anything else that you would point to? No, it's journaling. <laughs> it really is. Like that to me is just everything. I spend at least an hour, often three hours a day, just writing, just fingers flying, just thinking. It's the most important thing I think is questioning, asking myself questions, answering those questions, but then questioning my answers. I really enjoy doubting everything I think. So 
let's just say, you know, I'll ask myself, like, what's the best thing I could do today? Well, I think the best thing I could do today is to work on such and such. Is that really? Why do I say that? What's the real purpose of that? Well, because then I'll get it done. Why do I think I want to get it done? Just because I started it? Is this actually going to help people? Yes, it is. Wait, is it really? Is this something that, you know, there are lots of other people helping people with this thing. Do I really, am I really needed for this? What is my unique contribution here? What's something that I'm doing that other people don't seem to be doing? Is there a reason other people aren't doing it? You know, this sounds like navel gazing. It is, but I think it's really useful to constantly question what you're doing and make sure that you know why you're doing it. And often it will give you some completely new insight. It's honestly why I left America. I left America for good in 2010 because I loved it so much. I was living in Santa Monica, California on the beach and I absolutely loved it. It was paradise to me. I was so happy. And I even had, at the time, I was, uh, had a girlfriend from Sweden. We'd been together for six years and she wanted to travel the world with me. And I said, I don't want to travel. Look, we live in paradise. Why would we go anywhere else? This is the best place on earth. And she just went, Ugh. you know, she was frustrated with me that I didn't want to travel. And it wasn't until after we broke up and I was like, all right, we broke up blank slate. What do I want to do now? It's like, well, the most important thing to me is learning and growing. It always is. And somewhere in that journaling process, I was like, wait, then why am I sitting in the same place I've been for 10 years? If learning and growing is important to me, how do we learn? We learn when something surprises our expectations. We'll learn when we're surprised. If you're not surprised, then you're just taking in more information that fits with what you know. You're only really learning when you're surprised. Well, what's a good way to be surprised on a daily basis is to live somewhere that is completely different to where you grew up. So that just on a moment to moment, the little things like my story about, you know, how people price their their homes for sale in Singapore makes you go, what? That's great. Huh? That is so weird. Well, I guess that works. You know, the streets in Japan, the the uh, whatnot. That's a way to be surprised on a constant basis is to keep yourself living in st- places that are strange to you. I was like, huh, that's congruent with who I am. I want to constantly be learning and growing. It's like, I need to leave America now. It's like those things, those big realizations that may change your life for the better don't come unless you spend some time reflecting and questioning, doubting your own answers. Man, I tell you what, I've been surprised by this conversation. I mean, I've, I feel like I've learned so much because, you know, you always anticipate the way that a conversation is going to go and the insights that you're going to gain. But I tell you what, you've been a great pattern interrupt today. And I, I will tell you just out of gratitude that I've learned so much today. And there's so many takeaways from our conversation. Um, before I let you go, I have two very quick questions. One of the last two is what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Derek? Probably just answering emails. It doesn't sound like a big thing, but... I get emails from strangers every day. Yesterday, the highlight was a very ambitious 24-year-old in Uzbekistan emailed me. It ended up leading to a 90-minute conversation that was fascinating. I really enjoy hearing from strangers around the world. So yeah, anybody that's listened to this whole podcast, go to my website, go to sive.rs, and make sure you just send me an email and introduce yourself. It's really my favorite part of the job. Kind of see that as like my community service. People are always surprised that I answer every email, but it's like, that's, this is my, it's my giving back, but I also find it fascinating. I can attest to that because this conversation came uh, from exactly what you just described there. So the listeners can find you on your website. Is there anywhere else where they can find you? In my house. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do social media really. So go to, go to SIVE.RS. Everything is there. Derek, I just want to thank you again. I mean, I I want to acknowledge you as well. Your continued pursuit of your own learning and growth has translated into so much more for so many other people. You've allowed us to ask bigger, more important questions today in terms of what pursuit do we want to take and what impact do we want to leave as a result? So Derek, I just want to thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation? No. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Derek. Uh, until next time, you know what? We've we've left it where it needs to be and there's nothing else to be said. So thank you again and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Tyler. Elevate Nation. Derek Sivers bring in tremendous value today and ultimately it comes down to growth. It comes down to expanding your mind and living a life that is committed to finding the other side of things, expanding your thought process. And instead of just finding yourself lulled to sleep without anything that surprises you, it's about finding the opportunities of growth. And it is about being uncomfortable. It is about getting out of sort of that that ongoing notion to fit in. And I think that 
ultimately this conversation with Derek today was really insightful for me and really one that stood out for me because of the surprising way that Derek approaches these type of conversations. I, I just shared with him as we finished the podcast uh, off air that I appreciated, again, his willingness to be surprising. And I do feel like as a result of that, I, and I hope that you also felt the opportunity to learn there. Uh, and Derek actually shared with me, he said, look, there was a, there was a few times in the conversation that I could have gone along with you and agreed with you because there was many aspects that I did, you know, agree with you on and but he wanted to be surprising. And, uh, you know, I think we have this innate thing within us that wants to fit in. I mean, I, I think it comes from evolution. I think it comes from, you know, survival from for many, many years. I mean, we've we've survived through groups and fitting in within the tribe. And I think what Derek is showing us is that to thrive and to live a life of fulfillment, sometimes perhaps it's the opposite of fitting in. It's about being surprising. It's about living a life of surprise and opening your mind to a new way of thinking. So I hope that you found tremendous value in this conversation. I know I did. Take time to reflect. I want to challenge you to take time to reflect. What did you agree with here today? What did you disagree with? What were some realizations you had about yourself? What beliefs have you chosen yourself? Take some time to reflect, to journal, to build in your own routine of reflection. I think that was a huge clue as well, is that Derek, that's where that's where his learning comes comes to fruition, is all his learning happens through reflection, through journaling. You know, it's it's not always about input. Sometimes it's about taking some time to consider, well, how do I actually think about this? What if the opposite were true? So I just appreciate Derek spending some time with us today. I want to encourage you to share this episode with a friend and have a discussion about the things that you agreed with, disagreed with, or some choices that you are now making for your future. How are you going to expand your future as a result of this conversation? Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.